I, I told you about when Joe and I um, like volunteered at a marathon, right? A tri- oh, it was a triathlon because Joe was yeah, a was triathlons a tri- for a while. I, I remember yep. one of the <laughs> we had, like just started dating and he was running a triathlon, and so I like was being a supportive girlfriend and I went to go support, but I wasn't was. aware that a triathlon takes like eight hours. No, <laughs> and it, it was like take twenty degrees hours. outside, and I didn't know a freaking it was, person, it was, nor did I it see. It was cold, and I didn't know where he was either. You didn't even see <laughs> him. You can't see. Like, around in the so cold for eight I hours. Remember I sat. It's like imagine like a public like campsite park. I was literally on the floor of a brick cement bathroom to, to like huddle right. from the cold and then i like oh, popped man. up when he was done but then we that that's neither here nor there but then he and you should i have just gone and sat in your car i think <laughs> i think we drove together and you had the keys <laughs> there was a reason in his swim truck why would why would i have the keys <laughs> i want to hear the point of the story you had oh, trust no. issues at that point <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Why did I not sit in the car? <laughs> I was but you like, laid on the floor. <laughs> just to try and warm up. Yeah, it's I not just, the first time. I, re- I remember being literally like the coldest I've ever been. Why did I not go to the car? <laughs> I don't know why. Because um, you can't be sitting in the car. And I was then trying to be a supportive person. You're like, girlfriend. oh, sorry, I was in the car. Oh my gosh! Yeah, because it's much better to be like, "Oh, I was in the bathroom. So sorry, I missed you." So sorry. So anyway, so uh, like the last triathlon thing that he and I did is like we volunteered to like help pass waters out and stuff at a triathlon in Las Colinas, and we were. I guess my job was to like just I just was by the finish line waiting for the first ten people to come over the finish line to like. I guess like to write them down, or I had to like give them water to, or something. We had to walk them. Oh, to, to like, get drug tested. They get drug te- The first ten get drug tested, right? So it's like, too expensive to drug test in- everyone. Do they know that though? Like, is the incentive oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah, not yeah, yeah, show yeah. up? No, they know it because that was that was a professional triathlon. Yeah, but like then just show up late. Oh. No, 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 no. When you win, 10, the top ten people the running across the finish line oh, I'm so sorry. go to get I drug tested. The top ten showing up. Yeah. <laughs> Early bird gets drug tested. <laughs> no, yeah. so anyway, no, and so I was just again like I had never witnessed Joe crossing the finish line because I think I was still hiding in that bathroom. I don't remember. Uh, and, and you it were was not. Different. And you, it was, it was different, different, right? So I'm just sitting there, just sitting there, and the the I don't again. Y'all have never been to one of these things, but the first ten people went across, and imagine like ten fully grown, extremely athletic men literally collapsing and convulsing and like vomiting the second they crossed the finish line and i was like traumatized i was like (laughs) i'm supposed to drag this like convulsing man to go get drug tested like he can barely move it and he's like literally dying in front of me as soon as he crosses you can't let him out of your sight and these are people who that's like their job a bag of pee they (laughs) and and fake his drug test (laughs) they willfully kill themselves in these races i I do not i'll go on the record and say that i think marathons are stupid we we talked about last last week, week right? Was we talked great. about the Olympics and how he Joe and I were just talking about how you know uh, not Gabby Douglas, what's her name, Simone Biles. Over the summer, she got hurt and she decided she took herself out of the hole, right? And then there was this huge debate over like should she have forced herself to do it or not? And I was like, I would never have done that. And then Joe over here was like, Oh yeah, I would for sure break a bone to yeah, win a gold I medal. Because I started talking about Carrie Shrug, Carrie Shrug. And how she like ruined her ankle for. But she was for forced life. to do that. 
Yeah, she was forced to by her coach. Uh, that's what you also, think. Also, Simone Biles <laughs> could have landed on her neck and died. I think the breaking hey, bones different. Carrie Shura could have landed on Can her neck and died. Can we start the podcast? Well. This is the podcast. Welcome to the But Here We Go podcast, coming at you live from the Houston studios of the Robin Funds Incorporated. LLC. Neil, why is your hand? Why is your head in your hands? This is cringy. Oh. <laughs> what? What do you? Why is this so Man, cringy? You cringe what? on my back. Why is this cringy? Uh, the Robinson LLC. <laughs> I hey, I don't even know. But in case you haven't figured it out, there are other people on this podcast tonight. We've got the Robinsons or the Robin Funds. Yo yo yo. It's <laughs> Haley DJ Robinson. Dizzy. It's Neil Robinson. <laughs> The infamous Peter Robinson still has not made an appearance oh, on the podcast. It's too early for him to make an appearance. I hope to the uh, Lord. This that- time yesterday. The last time that you guys were on the show, we almost wanted him to make an appearance. But I feel like things have changed recently. Neil's a hard Now pass. you want him to sleep through the night. Um, I, mean, I don't think they never not want him to sleep through the night. As parents of a child who's never slept through the night, the the long I think the only time he ever slept what could be technically considered like technically sleeping through the night is seven hour stretch. He has slept a seven hour stretch in infancy. He has never done that again. Um, but and as because I, he's never slept through the night, if he does have a random night where he sleeps a long time, then we're worried. He's, then we think he's dead. Yeah. Um, but I uh, was telling Allie yesterday that I think that he just has a biphasic sleep pattern. So okay. you mean the medieval pattern of How two sleep? In the heck, do you literally know everything? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. That was well, common. One, if I remember, like during the time frame, didn't what do you they mean like you the remember? medieval times? Like, How they, do y'all know about? It's they, just because they would like they would, it would like they'd plan their day in the sense that knowing. That there would be this period in the night where they would wake up, get some stuff done, and then go back to sleep more. I think there was also the fact that they were a lot more into a circadian rhythm, or however you say that. And so they were tied to the sun. So when you go to bed at 5 p.m., you're not just going to sleep until 10 a.m. or, well, I guess 7 (laughs) or 8 a.m. So you you would sleep for five or six hours and then you would wake up and it'd still be dark and so you'd be up for a little bit and then you try and go back back yeah. to sleep and when i was researching it uh, how are you researching it because peter typically unless he um unless he doesn't he normally wakes up around the same time every night and is like literally ready to rumble and then he'll go back to sleep like like he'll hang out with us and then we'll put him back to bed. And so he has like two sleeps and then some, something came up. I think it was like, I follow a lot of like historical Instagram accounts and something came up about it. I was like, well, Peter seems to have a biphasic sleep pattern. And so I did a lot of research and Joe, you're correct. And Neil, you're correct in the terms of like, that was apparently how the human race and actually many animals live. And they, um, deduced that the reason why it shifted was because of the industrial revolution and the onset of electrical light. So, um, so I just, you know, it's not that Peter hasn't slept through the night and that there's something wrong with him. It's that he's adapted he's a, to biphasic sleep He's pattern. a more natural sleeper. And you, your family just naturally does not use industrial products. <laughs> so electricity, out. Canceled. Can we get on to my icebreaker question? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I Let's would say that the, the ice is breaker. broken, but you know, whatever. Well, if we had sound effects, you could have like, 
I think it. I've got a story about that too. About what? About the icebreaker question, but it's not a story about that. It was actually a segue into other stuff. Is it about the polar ice caps melting? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not that. Can kind I ask of segue. my question now? Let's hear it. Okay. If money wasn't an option, what would you do differently in your life? And it can be as little as like go on a big fancy trip, or it can be as big as like a career change. But if like money, just like the first thing that tops your head, if money was not an option, what would you do? Now hold on. When you say money is not an option, so like you're it's saying free, that we, it's either free or you have the money to do whatever you wanted. Which means money will never be a worry at all. No, I'm just saying if you could basically do anything in life and comp it, just like one, one time, thing, what would it be? Oh, it can only be a one time thing. Yeah. Oh, mm, that changes things. Well, if I'm going to comp one thing, right. it's going to be a geothermal power plant. Oh, dang, gonna, that's go I'm big going to go install a geothermal power plant. Wow. Where would you do it? Can you, you can't tell you that. Okay. Oh, can't tell you that because thing. then people are going to steal that IP. Wow. I got the place. It's up here in my head. Prospect mm. number one. As soon as we start, but here we... <laughs> Generate, <laughs> generate electrons. The cherry glow. Ooh, uh, sure. What it's it's workshopping the name. I would. Um, what I'm about to say sounds lame to me because I feel like people do this all the time. But Wait, I would, then why are you saying it if it sounds lame to you? I I would just buy a vacation home so I could have like a second home. Oh, okay. And I would buy it in like the country somewhere. You're right. Like that in the country of like lame. the of Europe or like East Texas. Oh, like a foreign one. Well, if you hadn't have said that it was a one-time thing, I would have said I would like to have the money to go on an international trip every single year. That sure that counts. I won't be picky. And luckily, y'all are married, which so means technically right. we get two. Right, and right? y'all, I benefit from Joe's power plant. <laughs> Fair. The whole world benefits <laughs> right, from right, the power right, plant. Right. Yeah, what would you do? See, I don't think you're thinking. Uh, you didn't really think about this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, because uh, why would you do? He tricks? would get obviously a holographic Charizard. You're thinking a little mm. narrow. Neil okay. is going to buy a country. No, if you buy the right business, not only are you creating the opportunity for having one thing you're creating the opportunity to have well what business lot. are you buying? yeah what well, business? i mean it's some kind just of a, just a business oh my god like <laughs> i guess like if, if this if money's no option then you buy a business like apple or something like that it's like Dang. crazy Man, and then right. you own that business and then you're just like yeah but here's the thing hey this that was a question no yes it's the question but apple's not gonna sell to you well no 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 that's that wasn't the- that's fine that's fine I'm Some not. of our answers are only borderline unrealistic. <laughs> what would you do, Allie? <laughs> I, was about to say, I thought y'all were going to be like way more realistic, but these are all like things that would never hey, actually happen. <laughs> go big or go home. I just acquired Apple for free. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do, Allie? I would go to seminary. <laughs> oh, I like that. And I would get a hey, degree. That's good. That's yeah, good. I thought mine was freaking realistic. I could I like actually it. do that if with I got my, a- With my Apple profit, I'll <laughs> send you to seminary. If, Excuse me, I could travel the world every year that's that's a reasonable answer so the world of ah, shut up okay if you want to if you want to scale it back a little bit from I your would geothermal drill, like, power i would drill one well <laughs> that would be only a couple million. Oh my god putting an entire power plant 
hundreds of millions. Mm. Oh. Buying mm. Apple, three trillion. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, if he comped Apple, then Apple would then be worthless. It would like mess it up, wouldn't it? That's how finance works, Comp right? for us. Maybe someone else is footing the bill. Oh, so it's being bequeathed to you. It would be, yeah, he has now inherited Apple. Ooh, what was just, that word? Did you, as, as well did as, you just as, say? Inherited. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Allie just said, Allie was trying to say bequeathed, and she said bequeathed. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Check Joe the tape. said... <laughs> I, said, I think I added an extra and yeah. in Harrington. Yeah. So Allie's running the show tonight. That was She's my ice. More, okay, that was my oh. icebreaker question. Let's see. Oh, I've got a. What were you going to say? You do your little icebreaker tangent. Then. Yeah. So I thought since we're with the Robinsons, and I feel like you both have funny stories about icebreakers because what? you. Oh, I do. Because you host a church at your house, and we've heard multiple stories about how you ask a question, and it ends up in in a hour long conversation about this icebreaker. Yeah, and you barely even open the Bible. Where do you get your icebreakers well, from? Firstly, it's the icebreaker. To clarify, we don't host it at our house. We are hosting it at our house for the next three weeks, but it is at a different house. But it is a house church. Secondly. There was one time where we used this icebreaker and it did cause some chaos, but it's not an everyday thing. And thirdly, um, to answer Neil's question, um, or no, maybe Alex's question, we actually did not invent this icebreaker. This icebreaker was invented by our friends, the Browers, um, who live in Dallas. And I think it's just the greatest icebreaker of all time. So I use it as often as I can. All right. So it's it's actually less of an icebreaker and more of it comes from the game called um, Perfect for You in Every Way. And the premise is there is somebody, and you can just forget that Wait, you're married. we play this all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, you can turn it into an icebreaker. So assuming that you're not married and you want to be married, um, there is a person that is perfect for you in every way except they have one of two characteristics. Which one would you prefer? And it's jelly bone or flame face. And flame face is this, this person who is perfect for you in every way, has a giant flame tattoo across their entire face that cannot be removed or covered. And then the second characteristic is somebody suffers from the very lifelong illness of jelly bone. And that's that one time every year, one bone in their body turns to jelly for the rest of the year. And then the next year, it solidifies and a new bone turns to jelly. Flame face. I, the, I am team flame face. That is true. Because this is fine. Let me walk you through my, my thought process with this. One, I'm staring at my husband and imagining a flame tattoo. And I think it could only be an improvement. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Wow. I'm kidding. Wow. You're, you're okay. highly attractive, obviously. All right. Um, no, <laughs> but now <laughs> just imagine with a flame. <laughs> well, if you think about it, because my first thing was like, I could deal with a flame tattoo. That's not a problem. Yeah. It's but, a great conversation. But, but my starter. problem, my first thought was employment. Is I don't think you people would hire, it would very much limit your job opportunities. But then I thought jelly bones. You literally would not be You're able to do most jobs for a significant portion of your life, depending on which jelly bone well, year it, it was. The real hard part about jelly bone is that you obviously have this disability, but 
But you, you also get, get government services because you can claim disability. But you don't not get with to, flame face. You don't get to adapt to it. So okay. like say so. you lose an arm right, right, right. with jelly bone. Okay, great. I'm gonna learn how to write right. left handed back. for a year. Right. Next thing you know, in a year from there, now it's like Okay, now I don't have a leg. And the arm that you like, if you say for arm bone jelly bones, you you adapt to it, but then muscles atrophy because you haven't been able to use that Ooh, bone for a year. That's then you're a really totally good point. screwed. Like your whole body's going to get right, messed up. Right. So we asked this question recently to our house church, in, in which there was a med student, and, and she he was, said not possible. No, she jelly picked, she picked jelly bone. She oh, said and I picked jelly and bone. Neil picked jelly bone too for the fact that there are two hundred and six bones in your body, and more than half of them are in your hands and feet. And considering it's only one bone, I think you could function pretty well if just one of the single, I think there's like 20-something bones in each hand and each foot. And I think you could function pretty well if just one of them was to go and that's 50% of your bones. So if you, you could you could say... That's 50% of your bones? So you better hope you're not the person who gets every single primary bone taken out in the first 10 years of your working <laughs> life. That's true, but like one of what the bones could be a rib. Brain? But like, yeah, one rib or... Part of your skull, your brain's not turning jelly, but part of your skull, and then you wear a helmet. So, like, imagine I, if you just you can wear a helmet. Honestly, I think the the hardest ones would be spine, one of your vertebrae, femur, your femur, your humerus, your skull. Well, well the skull's your, a lot of bones. Is your skull multiple plates? That's mm-hmm. one bone when you're fuses. Well, it's all fused together. But Peter's bone book has it. Could you just wear a helmet for that year? I no, know. but it's in your That's entire face. No, they're they're. Ooh, the one problem with the skull, a skull jelly though, would be that it could apply extra pressure on your brain. Ooh, actually, you know, it might be bad. What? Like one of your jaw bones. Mm. That would suck. Yep. So I've always been team flame face. What if the tailbone became a jelly bone? How? It might oh, be. Would that wreck everything? No, that'd be terrible. Or you'd just be like, "Ooh, this is no. more comfortable. I'm on jelly." My. <laughs> my. My tailbone already hurts all the time. <laughs> like, wouldn't it feel better if it was jelly? Hold up, can we? No. Can we, and a, if your big toe, I mean, that blows off your freaking. Can balance. we get like a final like what Tally? is it? I go pick? flame face. Jelly bone. I am all about the flame face. Mm-hmm. We could be the flame face puteers. I want. I. <laughs> I want to have a flame face okay. tattoo. <laughs> good to know. So, anyways, that's that's <laughs> that my is really good to know. Actually. I mean, not. No, I just I. I appreciate Tattoos. people who go all in mm. like that. I had a second version of it, and I was told, Haley, hold back. We can't do this. What's right. the second version of the it? The second one is perfect for you in every way, except they have one of two characteristics. They either have a full-sized squirrel tail or a full-sized <laughs> lizard tail. <laughs> squirrel oh, tail. Yeah, hands squirrel down. tail. That's what I said, but Neil's lizard tail. Your lizard Why tail? Why are you lizard tail? Are we sure it's lizard tail and not like monkey tail? No, it's lizard tail because I made this one I up. feel like the lizard tail with enough practice, you could almost use it as like another limb where I think the fluffy tail is just vanity. But could you imagine like just how vanity. much fun I would have just brushing Strangers Joe's on the train. Gi- no, now. Joe's giant squirrel tail. <laughs> I would just put bows now, up in there. With with squirrels, since I've hunt them. Oh, God. What? Squirrel tails have a very strong purpose of balance when you are climbing up a tree and when they're <laughs> Go trying climb to... Go climb up all the trees. Trying to do their squirrel I thing. I just imagine you know Joe with be, his giant squirrel tail you know just flying be, through trees. All of a sudden, I can just climb all the trees because I got the tail. What would be funny 
as if it it was like the size of an actual squirrel tail <laughs> or an actual lizard oh, tail. Oh, like tiny, tiny? <laughs> yeah, just like a little six-inch tail. I, honestly, that changes everything. If it's a life-size, like proportionate tail, I say squirrel tail. But if it's just like a little tiny thing, I say lizard tail. Either way, the, the really no, tiny one I makes would... me more uncomfortable than the large one. There's kids that are born with tails. I know. Now, if it was a monkey tail, hands down, <laughs> you're getting that monkey tail. Cause that I is, don't know, because that kid in Jumanji always thing. freaked me out. It wasn't my thing. Yeah, but with that monkey tail, He was tail, full you monkey, can, though. You can grab onto things. Anywho, okay, it's, here's the real deal. Buckle up, okay? So Joe and I were having this discussion. I've been reading a lot of books that are the, like theology books lately, and there were a lot of revelations that I had, and I would go like gleefully hop over to Joe, and be like, "Oh my gosh, I just learned this thing! It totally blew my mind." He would, and he would just like casually look at me, and be oh, like, "That's nice." Oh yeah, duh! Like, what did you think it was? And so I, it has dawned I'm glad on you me because because here I have been a Christian significantly longer than Joe has, or at least a practicing one. And it's getting to the point where I'm very annoyed that he knows, he like, he knows these things that I, for some reason, don't know. And so it dawned on me that maybe this isn't a Joe and me problem. Maybe this is a male women problem. And maybe men's Bible studies are teaching more technically challenging uh, Bible studies material than the women's Bible studies. Because I think Haley can, and I can attest that the majority of women's Bible studies that we have participated in have been your Ruths, have been your Esthers, have been your how to be a good how to be a good wife or like how to be a better mom. How to wait for your Prince Charming to come and sweep you off your feet. Like none of the women's specific Bible studies that I've ever been in have been anything about like let's dig into the Hebrew or like within cultural context. But is that something that's normal for men's Bible studies for y'all? What are like the typical topics that you dudes talk about? No, you, I, I disagree or, or be, with you, better, better, we'll better question. Have you guys ever done a Bible study specifically on the book of Esther or Ruth? Ooh. No. Specifically on Specifically Esther on the book of or Esther or Ruth. Ruth. If you have to think about it, that means that you guys have never done a Bible study on two chapters of the Bible? Yeah, but I've two also never Bible. done a Bible. Sorry, books I mean, on the Bible? there's a bunch of books of the bible Alice's point is that men don't do bible studies on female-centric books right but yeah. it's like but there's nothing in those two books that are specifically gender related and if so if that were the case we women read every other book of the bible with a male central character perfectly fine so why is it that men are not taught that the book of esther and the book of ruth are just as applicable to them as it is to women. I, I mean, I know the answer. <laughs> Please tell us, what's the answer? It's because it's about women. It's not about women. Well, I know, but it's seen culturally as this is the book. Because if you think about it, traditionally, the book of Ruth is taught, oh, look, Ruth was such a great doting daughter-in-law that she went with her mother-in-law even though her husband was dead and then she like gleaned wheat and then was like married Found favor in the eyes of boaz yeah so Prince she Charming. was patient and she was do- dutiful do- you know she that's ruth and then esther is like oh wow esther's such a godly woman that she allowed herself to get raped in order to further <laughs> god's plan well, i mean like wow it's like kind of a duh for like the the environment that we live in where there's such this 
Christian nationalism or this idea that, um, you know, we have to make war, uh, Jesus, a you know, a warrior Jesus, a warrior God for men. So when they look at the Bible, it's like we need to focus on King David or like the wisdom of Solomon or, you know, the expertise and the exploration of a Paul. So like they, they, they like, it's like you're going after these, you know, manly men, these manly men who, who, who you're trying to imitate and learn from. And so that way, anything, regardless of the content, I think because it just has a female's name at the front, just gets pushed aside. Cause it, can I just pause real fast? Cause the main story that I can remember being growing up in the church, being taught of, like uh, to of, glean from, from the book of Ruth. Oh my gosh, gleaning is how funny. to glean is submission. Mm. Mm, yeah, I agree. But That's as what a, it as an adult you. reading it, and then also reading these, just reading more commentaries and stuff lately, it has nothing to do with submission. In fact, she wasn't even be, being submissive. She was actually being kind of scandalous. Oh yeah, for the culture spicy. at that time, and she was going and be like above and beyond to be loyal to not only her mother-in-law, but loyal to this Hebrew God, which was not, because she was from Moab, so it wasn't even her native yeah. God. And so yeah. that's not even a correct application from that book to teach women, because it literally has nothing to do with submission. Well, if anything, she was anti-submission. Allie, Esther's also taught, Esther's also used to teach submission. Right, so those are two things that are <laughs> being taught to do submission that have nothing to do with submission. I think your original question, though, is is the Bible study material different right. for women versus men? When it is in a gender-specific Right, because I, I, as we've just attested, obviously you guys are not studying Ruth and Esther, which we could, Haley and I could go off for hours about how wrong that is. But I'm saying if, for example, if a women's Bible study decided to go through the book of Hebrews— Versus when the guys go off Hebrews, is the guys going in more technical by and large? Like, do y'all talk about the Hebrew, like, wording and, like, all that stuff when you go through studies? Because that's very new to me, other than the books I've been reading recently. I think it depends on the leader of who's kind of leading that group. I think I've had experiences where a leader has been kind of interested in that. Um, and can, you know, we'll go into a little bit of specifics of like, you know, the way that we look at this word in the original Hebrew, it would, you know, mean X, Y, Z, but then there's been other leaders where like, they just don't do that. I just think it's, it's different leaders, but I don't think it's a thing that is like almost an expectation because it's a men's group. And I would, I would say yes and no to that. That it, there is a there is a level of 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 personal flavor that is added based on the specific leader. But for for our church right now, one of the things that has always been pushed in Summit is which Summit is the men's Bible study. Summit is the men's Bible study. It is understanding historical context. Figuring out what the what the uh, the truth is 
and the truth that is that is the absolute truth that is that is from the story and then how to apply it to your life so historical context i think is something that is has been for the men's bible studies i think they've always done a very good job of working and trying to make that historical context part very clear and then getting to the truth and and trying to apply it i don't i don't know if it's because like myself and joe i don't know if you feel this way in in terms of you know we have not been in the church as long as Haley and Allie but for the majority of my time as a Christian in the church it feels like understanding historical context has not not been there it's all it's it's been there but may, but maybe for you guys growing up it wasn't there 20 years ago well I was just realizing that <clears throat> I think I have a slightly different experience in Allie because I have not been in a female focused Bible studies since college because um, That's true. my church experiences in, uh, in like my adult life have been uh, at churches that with smaller kind of not a large programmatic footprint and so like the only time I can remember doing like a Bible study with just girls was like in what we call huddles where like one of the and we got to pick our own book and so like one year one summer I did a huddle on feminism in the Bible where we learned about cultural context and then another one we just like did, you know, maybe then it was, well, other than the fact that obviously there's a huge problem that dudes don't study the book of Ruth and Esther, but I wonder if it's just the books. Cause I, I'm just thinking like captivating. Um, I guess what's the, what's the opposite of wild at heart for the girls or is that captivating? And then there's another one like lady in waiting. They were all, waiting for your husband books, but maybe that's just because that's what the girls in my groups and, chose. And so to that point, I think that there is that, and this is where I disagree with Neil, that a Bible study is different than just a men's group. Like a men's group that is going through wild at heart is basically taking the, the male version of like a, when somebody tells tells you a Christian woman should be submissive and and doing all these things. Well, Wild at Heart is saying a Christian man should be super strong, super powerful, and should be like the, like the lion. Among leaders, yeah. yeah, he should be the lion, not but also somehow the lamb. <laughs> but really the lion. Like that's Wild at Heart saying these are the emotions and the persona that you should give. Whereas the books that I would read in in summit were was it randy alcorn randy alcorn i think Ran, um, tim keller tim keller and we read like all of tim keller's books going through romans the minor prophets um daniel and we even did one i don't think this was tim keller but we went spent two two different semesters going through Genesis. And that is a lot of really just understanding like historical where, yeah, where the, the Jewish people came from and where the kingdom of Israel came from. So that was one of the things that you pointed out, the whole idea of 
of two different kingdoms being Israel right. and Judea. Right, I didn't realize that there was like a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. But actually like halfway through kings, mm, yeah. you start talking about, and the king of of Israel was this one, and they did this for 20 years, and then they died. And then the king, to, the king of of Judea was, was this guy, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and died after 20 years. Well, then maybe, because Hale and I were also talking about this, like I know very little i've read every book of the bible but i've know very little about the old testament because the majority of sermons are taken from the new testament and the majority of most people don't like to do studies in the old testament because it's very confusing because you are reading in it out of a yeah, different it is context. a history book and the new testament is pretty much it's a, it crosses different time frames to a certain degree but for the most part it is set in the same yeah. Area and age of time. And it's a little bit, it's it's closer to our modern era than the Old Testament is. So I feel like it's easier to right. like find correlations. Right. And a lot of it is application-based. Right, right. So right, you right. read a story and it's either Jesus telling you what you should be doing or it's Paul telling you, hey, you guys are doing this. I think you should be doing this. Yeah. And what I think is interesting though, and a lot of this topics coming up because Allie read a book that I got for her. So Haley's going to plug it. I am because uh, I've been trying to plug, I've been plugging it for a year. I read a book. So I'll start with saying that over the past two years, like I guess Allie and I both have been really kind of digging into like, um, just like our faith and like really understanding, like she can say it. We've been deconstructing. <laughs> yes. We've, so we've been deconstructing. Um, for I think the better, but like um, something that I that I realized kind of early on in that process was that I was getting really like kind of tired of the New Testament, but I didn't know how to approach the Old Testament. And then I saw that Beth Moore tweeted um, something about how there's this book that just kind of fundamentally changed her view of the Old Testament and made her fall in love with it in a new way. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. So the book is called The Epic of Eden. By Sandra Richter. By Sandra Richter. And um, I read it, I think, maybe at the beginning of 2021. And my goal was to like, you know, I want to, I want to get into the Old Testament. And honestly, like, I can definitely say that that book, just like Beth Moore said, changed my life. I love reading the Old Testament now. And like the whole goal of the book is to, I think the author describes it as helping you create um, a closet a closet, and organize, just kind of have an understanding of like, if you opened your closet, like, you know where everything is. Like, you know, this is where my shirts are, my pants. Like you kind of have a general understanding of how everything fits. And so she literally breaks down the Old Testament into a very bite-sized pieces and shows you how the story that God tells throughout history connects and by understanding the old testament to me it actually brings new life into the new testament because while you can read the new testament on its own it's so heavily interwoven with the old testament and ancient laws and ancient history and not just like specifics like referring to specific you know like the, the new testament references specific books of the old testament but also just themes from the old testament are completed um, or expanded on in the New Testament. And so I think it's it was just awesome. I think everybody should read it. I've been literally... <laughs> Joe's going to read it. He said he's going to read oh it. Oh, my I'm gosh. going to read it. We're going to put a, a link in the show notes. Oh, I'll, I'll do it. We're going to get our Amazon affiliate link going again, <laughs> and we're going to make money off of this. <laughs> I've been literally at <laughs> every joking. single... Um, 
every single house church gathering we have, I find a way and not not even intentionally, but because it has so so much like, value. It has so much value as a tool that it it comes up every single time. And it's to the point where people are like, "Oh my gosh, Haley's going to plug it in." Do you have? Is it on a Kindle account? I, I have a I Kindle. W- yeah. I can I, just go on my app and yeah. Find yeah you can, it. I will I have, say, guys, for those listening, it is currently on sale for six ninety nine on, on Kindle. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, on Kindle. I'm not sure if that's going to last by the time this airs, but it airs in two days. Which, so yeah, hopefully, it's it's I, sure. I will say though because Neil ended up getting me the physical copy for my birthday. It has a lot of maps. and There's graphs. a lot of and the it's maps and cool. graphs come out on, like you can see them on the Kindle, but like I wanted a physical copy just so that I can like have it as a reference. So Neil, if you want to read it, we got Kindle and physical. But anyways, that's my plug. It's amazing, and it brought up. I think what Allie, the whole point of this whole topic is that... Um, is it just Genesis or is it more than No, that? it's the entire Old Testament. It's the entire Old Testament. It's currently 40% off for the paperback for only 16 bucks, And I'm assuming it's still on sale for Kindle. Yeah. And if anyone's balking at 16 bucks for a book, it's it's pretty much like an academic text. That I thought I'll, you were going to be all like, I'll buy it for oh, you. I mean, I will <laughs> if they'll read it. If anyone texts Haley, mm. the, the, that will, the podcast will send you a copy. That's true. But yep. you have to figure out how to text Haley. Good luck. Or if you contact me, if Haley you contact Robinson. Haley, yeah. the, you have you, to give the code EPIC. Mm. Yes, the <laughs> code the text. EPIC. We, Joe's been trying <laughs> to get us to do a giveaway, and this can be the giveaway. Fantastic. And this isn't even a giveaway. This is just us You have to trying to get you to read right, right. a book that is on beneficial the old for your life. You have to share this podcast on some sort of social media and tag one of the four of us <laughs> in it. And the first and tag it as epic, right? And the first two people that do that, we will purchase you a Kindle copy of the Ooh. book. If I can add, though, because I I know that you guys have some viewers that aren't religious, I still think that like it was. I think it could still be valuable if you're not a Christian because it it really helps illuminate the Christian like perspective. perspective and themes in a way that I think is not necessarily done in the modern era. And um, so that's my plug for that. It also, so, if you're just interested, cause I've, I've, Haley and I have always been really interested in ancient history. Like we went through a huge Egyptian phase. Mm. We love playing the computer game Pharaoh, mm. <laughs> but even if you're just interested in ancient history, it ties together a bunch of ancient, like the epic of Gilgamesh and Mesopotamia and all that jazz. Yeah, really in case you didn't know much of, of Israel, and their story in the Old Testament takes place in the Mesopotamia area. Right. See, this is what's so funny, though. So this, so Haley's ranting about this book. She gifted it to me for my birthday. I read it in like a week or less. I attest it was awesome. I honestly, it, so far, it's it's the reigning champ of the best book I've read all year, which I've read seven. So that's actually saying something. Um, I think I actually may re, like make it an effort to reread it every year because it was so good. Um, but every single time I read something that blew my mind, I would turn to Joe and I'd be like, Joe, I just learned this thing. Like, did you know this? And he would look at me. Would you like to show what you did when you looked at me? I don't know. What you were just like, yeah, duh. And I was like, I, what? I would say, yeah, duh. You were just like, we're not surprised at all. And I was, which is what I think brought one, up this I question. think one of them was the, did you know for X number of years, Israel was two kingdoms? I'm like, Okay, that was the yeah, that was the, the thing that I knew I probably should have known. <laughs> I was like, you probably should, Allie. That it's, was like um, all I know. the Book of Kings. <laughs> is that why there's First and Second Kings? No, no that's, that's too different. Because Yo, I knew so many. I knew that was a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> no, like the one thing it was like. Look, Neil's already got it open on his Kindle app. Are you really already looking at it on your Kindle? Yeah, downloaded it. Wow. Okay. Okay. Read Wait, it do you, you changing have lives. The 
physical version, right? I had the physical copy, but yep. I do because I just downloaded and just read on the way here from Dallas her second book called Stewards of Eden. Which you read it just about- on the drive here? Yeah. Pretty quick read. Wow. It's a pretty fast not read. Not just on the drive. I would not you recommend... Most, you had most, maybe not most of it, but you had a good... Right, 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 right. Read. Um, but uh, it's also on sale for six ninety nine. Six ninety nine. But I would not recommend reading it until after reading Epic of Eden. Mm. Yes. Are we done talking about Epic of Eden? Oh, I mean, I could talk about it all day, but yeah. We can what would on. you like to talk about? Well, we could- I just think now is a, a good time to segue because oh. I'm glad that you brought up what was it, Stewards of Eden? Stewards of Eden. And I think it earlier, Haley, you mentioned that. Reading Epic of Eden gives people a good understanding of the Christian perspective. As you were talking about Steward of Eden, and I think it, a lot of, I would say, revelation came to you through Steward of Eden into the world that we live in today. And I would say that reading Steward of Eden. Which you have not read. Which I haven't read based based on what you have said. (laughs) You're right. Based on my understanding from pre-Christianity and being an environmentalist and still being an environmentalist, but now also knowing Christ, I would say that the Christian perspective, especially in America, is not doing environmentalism correctly. They're not doing environmentalism at all. (laughs) Yeah, you could say that. But I think that that, like, Epic of Eden gives a background on kind of a lot of the underlying themes and a lot of the and stewards application well no stewards is like somewhere along the way we went from following christ to american nationalism american oh yeah christian nationalism epic of eden actually calls out america there's a (laughs) there's a transition there and a lot of people who are looking at christians and are confused could read Epic of Eden and then read Steward of Eden and then be like, oh, why are we that's not doing not that? any of my Christian friends? Hopefully, hopefully they don't get that. Right. Hopefully there's more. But And that's and just to expound on, on Steward of Eden. So um, how Epic of Eden broke down the Old Testament, but heavily talked about Eden. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and Eden is, you know, the, both the a physical and like the concept of Eden. Right. Yeah. And so Steward what of Eden. What is that like? What's the word? It's like peace. Like Eden is... Okay, I'm thinking of something else. (laughs) Are you thinking (laughs) of Shalom? Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of Shalom. Shalom. No, like... Well, and it was talking about how essentially like... So God created Eden, put man and woman in there to live with them. And then obviously the story of Eden, we messed up, right? But this entire story of redemption is to get all of us back to Eden. And so what we see in Revelations is that he creates a new heaven on earth. And so yeah. like we will be going back to Eden essentially. And so where where steward of Eden picks off picks up after epic of Eden is just discussing of like hey like what is a christian theology toward environmentalism and how should we be treating this earth and how should we be stewarding it well and, and from what our responsibilities were given to us. Yeah. As Adam and Eve were the stewards of Eden, how are we following in their footsteps and are are supposed stewarding to be stewarding the world that, that we're given in? us? Correct. Yep. And so, anybody who does read Epic of Eden 
to try and understand their Christian friends. Don't be surprised if it doesn't help you understand your Christian friends, but I think it is a good book that everybody should read. Right, right, right. Everyone should read Epic. I was like, Haley is just living it. Honestly, I put both links. Guys, I have never cried at the end of an academic book. I cried at the end of Eden, of Epic of Eden, just because it was so beautiful. Like the picture it paints of like, because when we go in Revelation, like Ali said, the goal, the entire goal of the Bible is to find a way, God provided a way to get us back to Eden. Whether or not that's a physical Eden, it, it's it's both physical and it's like... It's where we will be with God again. Yeah, it's really to get us back to that intimate, like physical connection with God. I mean, that's why Jesus came. It's just such a beautiful idea. And since we're talking about Steward of Eden, I want to know, so there's multiple different things that came out of that in terms of the meatpacking industry, the mass farming industry. What was the the biggest takeaway? I guess biggest takeaway, maybe maybe scariest fear mongering thing right. that you got from it. Or and also the biggest change that you are going right. to immediately implement. So let me just say this, because I think most people listening to this, just when they think of the potatoes, they just think of granola, crunchy people. <laughs> they just think of crunchy chocos. Right, right, right. And I don't think kale. I don't think most people realize that I was not like that until I met Joe. And I'm honestly still I'm not very much like that. Like, Joe is the one who drives our environmentalism and has always been that way. Like, I would very gladly spend less money and not buy organic and he requires us to buy organic and so um so that's one thing because You'd be buying the eglin's best eggs out of the styrofoam containers Wait, i would still i literally i got my groceries from walmart before we started dating and then you took me to central market and we Allie, never walmart? looked back literally i was shopping at walmart wow. I, and again I, no disrespect to those who shop at walmart the biggest thing that it helped me do is because as much I, I on, honestly like again like I I want to be environmentally friendly. I just it it's it just seems so big, right? It's like how do we even make a difference? Haley and I were even talking about this today. It's like how can one person make a difference? It doesn't really matter. Like you know, just I'm just gonna live my life and try to make the best decisions as possible. What this book helped me do is connect how small things have massive consequences for the, for the negative. And so one of the examples it used was um, specifically Punjab, India. And so Punjab, India is the, considered the breadbasket of the country of India. Like that's where they make the majority of their... Uh, like wheat? They called it like cereal grains. Yeah, cereal grains. Oats. Right. And so um, in the either like late 80s, they... Um, started using these uh, fertilizers and stuff. Synthetic fertilizers. Right, and like to like, you know, increase the production by like hundreds and hundreds of percent increases. And um, today... And also insecticides because... Right, insecticides. are one of the biggest problems Right, and so to, 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 today there has been a massive diminishing returns. They're not producing as much. The, um, the insects are now... Um, Resistant, resistant to, to the insecticides. The fertilizers have caused massive medical issues for the people living in that area. And they're if they're looking at like what, what used to be the bread basket, like they may not have enough food to feed the country of India wow. anymore. Be- and that's just like 20, 30 years. And, and that's one, all because and of... And at one point, they were, they were making so much 
that, that they, they were, were exporting. a net exporter. Right. And India being, I think they may be the second most populous country in the world. They were able to export mm-hmm. grain because they had so much. Right, right, right. So that, so that to me, I was like, because again, you think like, oh, like it's, you know, it takes so long to do anything. But this is just like three decades and the country it's of India is decimated. Less than one lifetime. And like their food source is gone. And so that was like a really kind of like a big deal of like, gosh, like, and then Joe pointed out talking to him and then reading the book is like, because when I thought, when I think, hey, when I go to the grocery store and I buy organic food, all I'm thinking about is like, oh, like this is allegedly healthier for my body. And that's where I never got it. I never, never truly understood it because I have always been a relatively healthy person. So like, I'm like, what? I don't, I don't see a difference when I eat it in an inorganic avocado versus an organic avocado. But what I didn't realize is not only is that good for me, but that means that that avocado farm is not, is using organic fertilizers, meaning it is, it is using sustainable things to help the earth and soil and not sucking the the nutrients out of the soil and so and that's not not that's affecting the food that we buy but that's also affecting the local environments the people who live in those environments and like it has a much bigger impact than what i true like i was literally just thinking about it from a me perspective and not like oh i didn't realize that this affects the earth because that's what they talk a lot about in the book is that in the book of Deuteronomy which she refers to as like the constitution of the Israelite people there's multiple specific laws given to the Israelites to I'm sure you guys are familiar with it it's like you grow for six years in mm. the seventh year yep. Sabbath year right you don't grow anything and that's allowing the earth to refresh itself and Israel was like the only one doing this essentially and that's why they typically would have a ton of like they would, I guess they said like Mesopotamia is most anthropologists and like historians believe that Mesopotamia fell because they basically um, stopped doing that. Yeah, and they just sucked up. They just they essentially killed themselves because they were trying yep. to 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 use the earth for so much stuff without giving the earth like I'm not talking a break. right a break that they they starved them their own peoples, and so um, just like basic things like that like. It's harder in the short term, just like buying organic produce is hard in the short term. It takes more money. It's annoying, right? Because not everything's organic. But in the long term, not only does it have a better effect on us, but it has honestly does have better effect on the environment and ecosystems at large. So I think that it is a it's a very interesting point. And as you're talking, it's something that I that I noticed that before reading this book, it was a very personal focus and very kind of self-centered which is interesting and maybe that's a western western culture thing but it was also the fact that like as a christian we are supposed to put everybody else above ourselves so like actually taking care of the environment is a becomes more about everybody else and how you impact everyone and that's what she talks about a lot is like we see this in scripture in the old testament and as well with what we see today with environmental stuff is the people that are affected negatively the most are the marginalized people well that's what i was going to say if i could jump in because like something that i mean i'm going to admit right now neil and i try to buy we buy as much as we can organic we've never bought organic vegetable well like we'll get organic bananas it's like off and on yeah we kind of pick and choose but vegetables haven't you know been our main thing the thing that i struggle the most with the concept of like oh well people should eat organic because i mean 
aside from yes, the environmental impact, there have been studies where they have like had families uh, who hadn't eaten organic start eating organic, and there are notable health differences. What I struggle with is that typically, as Ali just said, the marginalized, the lower income, typically organic eating is a privilege. And the and a lot of people are priced out of the organic kind of food level. And so and not not saying that that means organic is bad, but I just wish that it was more accessible, because um, both for a health benefit, and then like, one of the reasons why like organic stuff is so slow to catch on is you're right, Ali, not only is it expensive to produce, because like, I know, we've worked with some clients that have like organic vendors or like people that help do whatever and like a lot of farms like it takes a number of years to be certified organic and they have to work at a loss before they can you know be considered that and so all that aside then it's really expensive for people who are living at, you know at or below the the poverty level to to pay that much more because it's so expensive at the grocery store and so I don't know I feel like I feel like it's frustrating because I can see the value of organic stuff but it's like how do you make it something that everybody can do i mean that i mean you have to have everybody buy in essentially which is impossible but that and that's the main thing that she talks about at the end of the book is like look like it you're not gonna be able to fix everything which is honestly true not just environmental stuff like as believers like we are not able we're not going to be able to adopt every orphan we're not going to be able to shut down every like terrible slaughter house whatever but just being just making the right decision like then and the words of anna from frozen like just do the next right thing and because of who we are as christians and how we are again stewarding the earth the lord has given us and which is the whole like our responsibility as the top of the food chain like that i mean there is no other answer but doing those things but it's definitely complicated i mean i was gonna say that like I mean, as of now, when I think about organic, I think of it like the way you used to think of it, Allie, like a very like me focused thing. Like, well, you know, is this better for me? What is this costing me? Is this healthier for me? I'm not thinking about it in terms of, you know, is this better for the earth? Is this a better environment for, you know, the animals? Is this, um, is this like allowing a, a well stewarding company to continue to, yeah. And like, like, as we're talking about this, it's like changing my mind and how I'm thinking about this. But yeah, I mean, it's all like, you know, it's like, you know, maybe your grocery bill goes from like $100 to like $140. I'm not sure what the percentage it would be. But like, well, and to your point, like, you're right, like people who are impoverished, they can't like they. So why are, we should. So the it. people who are in a position to where they it's it where isn't right where you can increase your grocery bill by buying organic products or you know, you, I just bought shoes that were recycled because, and that was like when you asked, like, what's the big thing that I want to change other than like now we can buy organic. Like I really, I always kind of roll my eyes when people talked about like naturally sourced yes, clothing. Yes, used to do that to me. I'd say I want to start buying natural fibers and you literally roll dress. I know, me. it's because I think, it, I struggle because a lot of, it's like such a fad, but then now I'm like, I guess it's kind of good. As long as it's like, as buy naturally it, not good fibers but don't buy like 60 of them just because it's yeah. trendy because then you just have 60 you know I mean, it's still and natural fibers but you've got still got 60 shirts going to the yeah. landfill so and because it's like, this because this kind of is my area oh yeah of, sorry of work, <laughs> we I think defer it, Dr. there Jeff. is <laughs> there are 
there are so many different levels in terms of a term called greenwashing where Mm -hmm. it is like getting an organic label for large companies. They can basically buy their way in doing the bare minimum. So there are, and, and then the idea of, for example, replacing using plastic straws with metal straws. The number of times you have to use that straw is something like 50 years to make that the metal straw smaller. Dang. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So plastic straws were just a, the straw man. <laughs> so there are a lot of levels to this conversation. But I think what Neil said and the idea that just thinking about it and just starting that process and the fact that, that we can afford it, hopefully by more people who can afford it buying organic and buying naturally sourced clothing, hopefully that will draw those products down on the price curve. And by drawing those lower, that should make it easier for the marginalized communities to get in. I like, I kind of like the idea of, and maybe this is like the white savior complex to me. I like the idea of like, that's, that's almost like, um, you know, we talk about like your tithing and giving to the church, like it's, or, or even just donating, right? It's almost like, I mean, yeah, we're benefiting because we're getting nice food and nice clothing or whatever, but you're, you really truly are, you're helping the planet, which is helping everybody else. Like it is kind of like a, it's almost like, I mean, what do they call it? Neil in advertising, they call it, um, but it's like Tom's. Playing to your ethos. No, or... it's a type of product. It's like, you know, Tom's shoes. Like, like a give back product or? I can't remember. There's a term. I'll think about it. But it's just the idea that like there, it does good in a lot of ways. And yep. so it, it's kind of, I think if you do shift the perspective of like, because like back to the natural fibrous thing, that is, that is why I've wanted to do natural I mean, do i do it all the time no but like well not even just natural fibers just buy used clothing yeah no. Allie and i buy a lot of used clothing but but i mean also side note i i have sensitive skin so natural fibers are just <laughs> <Side note. laughs> are just helpful but um but yeah like ally and i use thread up which is an online thrift store a lot we we like to go to We're local resource stores yeah um, we share a lot of clothes with each other. Because fast, fa- fast fashion really is a mm. huge problem. problem. And don't, get, don't even get Joe on um, jeans with stretch in them. Oh, yeah. Don't get me on it? Yeah, you're very anti-jeans with stretch because it's apparently terrible for the environment. I think I remember what you're referring to. I also feel like I have to wear jeans with stretch. Really, any any pants with stretch. But... They are very quickly. They are they are not all that good for the environment because when you go through the process of you use something and then you go to the next resale shop and then the resale shop, if they can't sell it, they ultimately sell it as racks or they sell it to to one of the places in Africa that ends up as a as a wasteland, which is that's the worst case scenario. And that's ultimately where the rags end up as well that have stretch because those those polyester fabrics, they don't absorb oil. Like they basically don't work as rags. And because of that, nobody wants them and they take forever to break down. So they are, they're the worst thing to end up in a landfill, but they don't really serve any other purpose besides wearing them. 
That was the other thing she talked about in this book was not only do like the marginalized people in your community and countries, like do they face the worst consequences, but it's also the marginal, I don't know what the correct term is now, but like the marginalized countries. They're called underdeveloped. Uh, they they um, reap the worst environmental consequences in the mm. sense like before we're going to see rising water, they're going to see it. They see the massive trash heaps. Like, they see how much, like, the polluted water affects them. Like, they are the you typically the first ones to see those environmental changes where the people in, like, more developed or, quote-unquote, rich countries were the last to see that stuff. And so, like, again, like, because we are in a, in a position of privilege, like, we should be the ones leading out on this. But then I will also say this. The thing I disliked about the book was it was extremely overwhelming. And so I think... Um, where we have to keep in mind is that, like she said, like we can only do so much. Like we ultimately have to trust that like God is not surprised by any of this. He is certainly not surprised that we sin sinful humans have ruined <laughs> the world that he made us. Um, and so we, we should not get overwhelmed and disheartened by that, but be empowered to say, Hey, like I can make choices that have direct consequences. And so choosing to make those choices is something that we can do. One thing I want to say before we sign off with your sponsor, the steward of Eden, then we'll talk about the is sponsor. Is that our sponsor? The not sponsor. Epic no. of Eden? No. So the, the steward of Eden, one thing I kept asking you about was, were they going to talk about hunting? They did not talk they about They didn't hunting. really talk about hunting. Which I'm so a little upset Joe's about. I was actually honestly upset because I wanted them to tell yeah. Joe that well, hunting was bad for the environment. But I still think it's good for the environment. And I think we need to do a life cycle assessment, CO2 footprint of deer, venison meat, or some other hunted meat versus a cow or a hog or chickens if i can just say i think from what i understand the human race just needs to stop eating as much meat in general right. oh, yeah. right. but yeah. that's because of because of the mass processing of meat but i wanted to give a plug for one of my favorite podcasts oh, no. called the bear grease podcast the not bear grills no, the Bear Grease podcast. Is he suing it's, them for name? <laughs> no, no. It is part of the Meat Eater Network. Of course it is. And I think it, so they. We need to eat, we eat he, far too much meat, no, but you need no, to listen to the Meat no. Eater podcast. He, so this is, this is put on by Clay Newcomb. Got it. And Good he enough. had an entire, an entire series about uh, soil and regenerative agriculture. Oh, dope. And how. Places like Mesopotamia and and I think it's Assyria. Who who produces all the olive oil? Is that Italy or Greece? Uh, Tur Turkey no, Canaan, man. I found apparently that was an olive oil. Well, was like now the number okay. oh, I so, went to an olive oil production place in Nazareth. Dang. So those the reason that they produce olive oil is because they used to have this great soil. And they basically did not treat it well. And they lost the soil. And now the only thing they can have wow. are olives. So you can see the rise and fall of civilizations by the way they treat their soil. Dude, there's like whole chapters of that in this book. Yeah. And that that is the one thing that I, I listen to Bear Grease more than any of the others on the Meat Eater Network. 
And I think it's probably because Clay is a Christian. Oh. And even this last documentary series, it's a documentary style. So there's usually three or four different episodes about a topic. And the last one was about the Folsom site, which is an archaeology. Oh. No, it's an archaeology site. I was thinking. Site. <laughs> it's an archaeology site that that said that man was in the in North America by 10,000 years ago. And he ended up going on a 15-minute, just him talking about how he, he personally can reconcile the fact that, that we have these, well, he's an old earther, so how you can reconcile the fact that the earth is 4.5 billion years old, but also the Genesis story and the book of Genesis and the history of Christianity and God's people. And so it it's really fun if anybody is interested in... I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, I think it's a very good podcast. And I think partially why I like it so much is because it is... He is he wrestles with those ideas and the clear the I guess not the clear but the the kind of getting into that nuance between Christianity and being a good steward of the environment and how you handle all of that and how you can be a man of science and faith and how you can sit there and look at history, natural history, which is usually seen at odds with with faith. And that's not always the what he talks about, but he is he is an unapologetic Christian and and I would say at least one of our, out of every four episodes you do hear that he is a Christian. So it's really good. Oh cool. Tell us about our sponsor. Oh yeah. So speaking of fast fashion, our sponsor today is Carhartt. Oh. Now, Carhartt... Is very trendy right now. Carhartt is very trendy right now. And I first experienced Carhartt. And I say it's an experience because my family found a Carhartt jacket in the in the trunk of a rental car back <laughs> when I was in high school. And we kept it. I don't know why, but we kept it. Because that's just what you do. And it it had the name on it. This guy wrote his name in Sharpie. On the front of his jacket? It was something like, yeah, it was something like John, right there on the jacket. And Carhartt makes such durable clothes that that jacket was probably already five to 10 years old. And it lasted the next, really, I, I'm sure it is still somewhere being used. And so Carhartt is was originally made as one of those farm brands that you buy one, you use that your entire career if you don't set it on fire accidentally, but it lasts you. Like it is a good quality piece of clothing that you can trust and you can use until it all falls apart, which will take you a very long time, even in rough 20-hour days of farming. So they're not a real sponsor. Really? You should call this segment just like brand of the day. Like, no, I'm going to call it sponsor, I, it not sponsor. because of the hats. Yeah, we need to end. So we're cutting it off here. Bye-bye. All right. Adios. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.